Well, those of us who have good neighbors are better equipped, aren't we, to understand what it means to be a good neighbor? Uh, this week, I, I arrived home a little earlier than normal on Thursday, and um, <clears throat> I had about an hour, an hour and a half of daylight left, so I thought, I, I need to do a couple of things. I've got some projects going on, and one of the things I needed to do was to mow the middles of my planted pines. And so I thought, I think I'll hop on the tractor <clears throat> and uh, just do a little mowing with what little sunshine I have left, daylight I have left. And so I got on my tractor and headed out to my pines, and I don't know, I just love riding that tractor and love that hum of the tractor as it pulls that bush hog behind and starts knocking down that what had become pretty thick brush, and everything's going good. I'm enjoying life, and I'm going up and down the rows, and finally I'm thinking, you know what, dark's coming. Maybe I need to, maybe I need to head on back and <clears throat> get get things put up and so I'm making one last pass through one last row and all of the humming for the tractor became kerplunk you see I had found out that there is a certain gopher who has a humongous hole in the middle of my trees and so I, I, I've been through them before I knew they were out there but this one had I don't know if it was the rainwater I don't know if like there's a, a multi-housing thing there with the gophers but this hole was so big that my front tire just sunk down into the hole and I'm stuck let's just say the next 30 to 45 minutes were not happy moments for me okay I'm trying to dig my way out trying to dig around the tire so that I can maybe get some some push I'm trying to use some boards for some leverage I'm doing everything I need to do or, or know to do no luck whatsoever. And then I thought, well, we'll just pull it out. And so I go to the house and enlist Beth's help. And uh, she's not real thrilled about being out there in the field to start with. She's trying to prepare dinner. But she comes because she knows the rain's coming, right? Dark's coming. I really don't want to leave that tractor out there. And who knows how big that hole's going to get. And, uh, but she comes, and, and I think we've got the perfect thing to do. We go out there, I bring my chain, and I'm pretty sure that my Toyota Tacoma is going to pull that tractor out. Alas, it did not. All it did was spun the wheels, and I'm thinking, now I'm going to get the truck stuck as well. So we quit that, and I'm thinking, what do I do? I thought about calling Adrian. He would have come, but for sure, but he's too far away. So I called Eric. Now, you don't know Eric, but Eric is my neighbor. He is one of, the, one of the only homes that I can see from my front porch. And so I called Eric. I knew Eric, first of all, had a tractor. Secondly, I knew he had a massive four-wheel drive truck. And third, and most importantly, I knew that he'd be more than happy to help. So I called Eric. I said, man, I got my tractor stuck out here. Here's what happened. I said, could you just, I don't know, maybe tomorrow after work or Saturday or whatever, could you come see if we can pull this thing out? He said, oh, man, no, I'll, I'll do it right now. Let's, I'll just stop what I'm doing. He came. He said, you want to do it now? I said, yeah. So he brings his truck, and he pulls his truck up there to my tractor, and we hook up the chains, and in five minutes, tractor's humming again on the way back to the barn, and Eddie is thanking Jesus and Eric, right? Because what a neighbor. I thought, what a great week for that to happen to me. I, I guess it's not, I, I wasn't saying that at the time, but later I thought, what a great week for this to happen because we're talking all about being a neighbor. For the next four weeks, we want to talk about what it means to be a neighbor. Now, I, I, I just preface it to say, it's a, way more than just pulling a tractor out of a gopher hole, but it's a start. Actually, being a neighbor is very important to you and I who are followers of Christ because 
Jesus puts a high priority on it, and Scripture addresses it over and over and over again. And as a matter of fact, I think what we'll see by the end of this time together this morning, it's not really an option for us as followers of Christ. We're commanded to be good neighbors. So we're going to be talking about being neighbors. And so what better way to kind of put some creativity to that than to think about maybe the most famous neighbor ever, Mr. Rogers. Now, if you're my age, down to about, oh, I don't know, 25-ish, you probably know who Mr. Rogers is because you've been to his neighborhood, right? If you haven't, your children have or your grandchildren have. But now, if you're about 25 years old or less, you're probably saying, who is that? I don't know a Mr. Rogers. Well, bear with us, and we're going to show you a little bit about Mr. Rogers. Now, here's the thing about Mr. Rogers. The amazing thing is the length of time this man has been before us. Do you know guys, last year, last year, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood celebrated their 50th anniversary, and here we are still talking about him. That's pretty amazing in itself, right? How many children programs do you know of that we talk about? Now, clearly, you saw in the video another character. I've told our younger staff who brought all this to me, I said, I don't, I'm not a Mr. Rogers man, I'm a Captain Kangaroo guy, but... Uh, how many of us know our childhood heroes? And yet, Mr. Rogers stands out. Why? As a matter of fact, did you know that it's so impressive, Hollywood is coming out with a feature film. And, and Tom Hanks, right? Tom Hanks is playing Mr. Rogers. So, that's pretty big. Not only that, besides the movie contract, they've even got a, a stamp coming out. A Mr. Rogers stamp. That's pretty serious. Who is this guy? Did you know that Fred Rogers is way more than what we see on TV? As a matter of fact, did you know that Fred Rogers was a Christian? Very strong Christian. In fact, his beliefs, his Christian beliefs drove much of the programming and much of what you see in Mr. Rogers. And his love for children and his belief in reaching children at a young age caused him to start this television broadcast wherein he invites Mostly preschoolers, that's his target, preschoolers and younger children into his neighborhood week after week after week. Why? To teach them how to be a neighbor. And by the way, he taught them many wonderful traits that we're not going to talk about necessarily, but are worth thinking about. So now 50 years later, why are we still talking about Mr. Rogers? What is it that draws us 50 years later into his neighborhood? Could it be that he was all about love? <clears throat> As a matter of fact, Mr. Rogers' self-proclaimed mission in life, his central idea in life was love thy neighbor. <laughs> of course, he got that right from Scripture, right? Love thy neighbor. It was so important to him that his theme became, I love you. Just like the officer was talking about, I love you just the way you are. And I don't know if you watched, I don't know if you paid attention to that, that clip at the beginning, but what was happening with Officer Clemens in the 60s was a big deal. Now, if you didn't experience the 60s or 70s, you don't understand the impact of what was happening there. But those of us who've been through the 60s and 70s, that was a big deal, that he would love Officer Clemens just like he is. Big deal. 
In fact, Fred Rogers was so big on that that he decided that he would maintain a weight of 143 pounds. And every day he religiously checked his weight and had a big smile on his face when he came to 143. Why 143? Because it became his own numerology for his theme, I love you. Uh, just count the letters, uh, the, the, the words. I, one, love, four, you, three. So 143. Now you're saying that's a little bit over the top. And I'm thinking everything Mr. Rogers did was a little bit over the top. The next four weeks, though, we want to use his theme. Won't you be my neighbor? As a way to get us thinking about what it means to be a neighbor. Now, one thing that Fred Rogers believed is, quote, and I'm quoting him, <clears throat> love is central to everything. That's what he believed, whether it's relationships, marriage, business partnership, friendship, love centers on everything. He believed that. And we've kind of taken that as our big idea. We believe that love is at the heart of everything. And what I want to show you this morning is that love is at the heart of being a neighbor. It really is. And, and being neighborly is a result of what has occurred in our hearts. And what I want to propose to you in just a moment as we walk through the scripture is to show you that as a matter of fact, loving our neighbor is an overflow of who we are as followers of Christ. It is an overflow of the love of God that has been poured into our hearts. Now let me show you what I mean. There's a powerful passage of scripture in the book of Romans. Now those of you who know about Romans know this. You know it was a letter written by the Apostle Paul to Christians in Rome. It is filled with doctrine, right? It's one of the most powerful doctrinal books we have. In fact, the first 11 chapters of Romans is some of the greatest theology we have written anywhere, and we read that, and we study it, and we talk about it, and we study it, and we pray about it, and we study it, and we share it together because it is strong theology. But in chapter 12, Romans takes a turn, which is, again, typical of the Apostle Paul. It takes a turn away from what is theological to the practical. In other words, Paul says for 11 chapters, here's what God's work at the cross, Christ's work at the cross, here's what it has done for you. And in chapter 12, he says, now, this is what that gospel is doing in you. And it becomes very practical. And everything in chapters 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16 are extremely practical. One of the things he addresses is our idea what it means to be a neighbor. So give me a few minutes, and I want to walk that through you, a certain portion of it. It's Romans chapter 13. If you want to follow in a copy of the Scripture, you can do that, or on your tablet, your phone, however you carry the Scripture, or it'll be on the screen in case you didn't have a copy, and you can follow along. But listen to what Paul says. Romans chapter 13, beginning with verse 8. He says, I want you to read it to you, and then I'm going to come back and unpack it, but I want you to feel the whole weight of it. He says, Do not owe anyone anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and any other commandments are summed up by this commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. There's Mr. Rogers' theme. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Ah. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, hold on, buckle your seatbelts, is the fulfillment 
of the law. Now, there's some pretty weighty thoughts there. There's some pretty high standards there that I want to talk about just a minute. But you see, I think we live in a world, and, and certainly in my younger years, I, we went through this fad and culture that, well, I love everybody. You know anybody? I just love everybody. Love's all you need. All you need is love. And I love everybody. Do you really? Or is that just kind of a good catchphrase to say, I'm going to just do what I want to do and be what I want to be? The problem with that statement is that often we don't understand the standard, the demand of love. And we think of the love that this apostle is talking about. He's talking about a high, high standard when he talks about loving our neighbor. And this demand of love. Now, I want to point out three things that he says about love, and I could give you more, but it's all i got time for. Three things that, are, that stand out to me in these verses. The first thing he says is, he teaches us is, that the demand of love is never satisfied. It's never satisfied. Now, here's what I mean by that. If you go back to verse number 8, you read what he says carefully, and look at, let me read it again. Well, good, you got it right up there. He says, do not owe anyone, anything, except to love one another. Now, what in the world is he talking about there? Do not owe anyone anything. Well, some of you are thinking, well, that must mean that we don't use credit. That must mean we don't ever borrow. We don't ever owe any money. No, no, hold on. I, I'm not sure. Now, you know, if you know me, you know that I am all about being debt-free. I think being debt-free is the best way to live. It's the most comfortable way to live. It's the most pressureless way to live. It is a good thing to be debt-free. I want you to hear me say that. However, I don't think that's what this passage is teaching us. I'll tell you why. If you come back to the context, Paul is talking about things that we do owe. I didn't include it on the screen, but let me just read it for you. The verse just before that kind of sets the context. Listen to what verse 7 says. He says, pay your obligations to everyone. In other words, pay the people you owe. So he's not saying we don't owe or can't owe. Pay, But what he is saying is pay your debts. And then he gives some examples. Pay your obligations to everyone. Taxes to those who you owe taxes. All right. All of us owe taxes, right? If you figure out how to get around that one, let me know, please. No, we all owe taxes. Pay your taxes, he says. Don't let that accumulate. Pay it off. And then he says, another example, tolls to those who owe tolls. And that was an important thing in his culture, but it was another example of something that you might owe, and he says, pay it off. Don't let that accumulate. Don't go through life owing people taxes, tolls, whatever it may be. If you owe for a car, Pay them, he says. If you over a house, pay it. We don't have the luxury. We need to understand that we're driven to pay. Oh, no man, anything. He says, don't, tolls, taxes. And then watch this. And he says that respect to those who you respect and honor to those who you honor. Oh, honor. Isn't that interesting? He says, you owe respect. You owe honor. Now, I don't want to run... This, 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 this message, this teaching is so full of potential rabbit trails, I have to be very careful. But there's a rabbit trail here. I'm just going to say this much and leave it. We would do well to teach our young people that we owe some people some respect. Thank you. I was wondering if you would agree. And we owe some people honor. I tell my grandchildren often, you need to honor 
your father and your mother. Even when they don't want to give you gas for the car. Even when they don't buy you the latest game for your Xbox. Xbox, is that still, yeah, they still do that. PS4. You honor, you know, you owe honor, you owe respect. He says, pay that. And then he gives one exception. He says again, verse 8, don't owe anyone anyone, anything that's coming, that's left over from verse 7, but except to love one another. Now, what in the world does he mean? I think here's what it is. I think what he's saying is we can never completely pay off our debt to love. It's never satisfied. I can never say, that's it, done. I have not the freedom as a child of God, as a follower of Christ, to say, Eric, sorry, buddy, you've hit the limit. Done. I owed you that. I paid for that. Done. I, I can never do that. It's, it's never satisfied. I can't say, Adrian, Adrian, I've given you this love, 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 and you know what? That's it, bud. I can't say to my wife, you know, I pledged to love you, and I have, and I, feel, I, I paid that debt. Everything's good. No, it's, it's never satisfied. And so when we talk about loving our neighbor, it's something that's never satisfied. You're never done. And then he picks up in the next verse and makes an important addition to that. He says the, this, this power of love, this, this demand of love is, is not only never satisfied. Second, it goes way beyond ought to. Whereas I think I put it there, it goes way beyond the law. Meaning it goes way beyond, well, I ought to love them, I know. You know, I ought to love him. I guess I should. I guess I will. I know I should. Could you be my neighbor, Mr. Rogers said. Yeah, I should be. Ought to be. It goes beyond that. It goes beyond the law. Did you pick up what he said in verse 9? In verse 9, he began with a powerful statement. The commandments. Now, you're going to recognize these as being the Ten Commandments, right? Or at least some of them. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and any other commandment which is far-reaching for this group because they have been taught all of these commandments, hundreds of them that they must keep, all other commandments, watch this, are summed up in one. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now that is a big, big statement. All of the commandments summed up in this one. You remember the day that Jesus was walking with his followers and he was stopped by the religious leaders, the teachers of the day, and they came to him and they were hoping to trap him. The question that they used to trap him was this. A teacher, what's the greatest commandment? Of the 600 plus commandments we have, what would you say is the greatest no, that's just modern, equal to modern politicians, right? They were always trying to trap somebody, and they were trying to trap Jesus, and Jesus turned it on them because he never hesitated. He said, well, the greatest commandment, you should know, it's the Hebrew Shema. It comes from Deuteronomy, the Torah, the law, and here's what it said. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the greatest commandment. And then before they could comment, he says, in the second the second is like it and actually flows from it. You remember what he said? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. What? 
If that question were asked today, what is the greatest commandment? How many of us would respond, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Or better yet, how many of us would follow that by saying, and the outflow of that is, but you love your neighbor. What's the greatest commandment? Well, you go to church every Sunday. Not what he said. I'm I'm not hating on that. I'm glad you're here. As a matter of fact, I said we didn't come last Sunday, and I felt like it had been weeks. I I just couldn't wait to get back here. In fact, I had to turn my idle down a little bit when I get up here to slow down and say, whoa, 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 try to catch up all at once. Did he say give something in the chest every week? Ah, That's not what he said. Ah, That's important. That's good. Thank you for doing that. But what did he say? Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, I do. Love's all you need. I love everybody. I love my neighbor. Do you? Think about it just a minute. Love is a demand that is strong. It supersedes. It goes beyond even the law. Now, don't misunderstand me. And I know some of you theologians, and you're already backtracking a little bit, and you're thinking, so are you doing away with the law? No, 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 no. I'm not doing away with the law. In fact, we better not do away with the law. We don't try to abolish it. You remember what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount? Sermon that he preached by the Sea of Galilee. There's a mountain range there, and it's easy to get set up an amphitheater, and he's there with potentially thousands of people and he's teaching them this sermon and in the sermon you know what he says over and over again he's trying to tell us that this thing of discipleship raises everything it it doesn't lower the expectation it raises the standard he says in fact you you're interested in keeping the law i'm going to raise it to a whole nother level and here's what he says to him i'm sure this must have been shocking He says, you've heard it said. In other words, it's said in your Torah. You can read this in Matthew 5. I'm not going to take the time to read it. Matthew 5, read it later. Talk about it in your group. Jesus said, you say, you've heard it said that you're not to be murdered. You you don't murder your neighbor, right? Thou shalt not murder. We just read it. That's in your law. He said, but I say to you, don't even be angry with your brother. What? Your law says don't murder, and you mustn't murder, but I'm going to build on that and take it another step and say this new love that I'm going to be talking about means you're not even angry with your brother. And then just in case they didn't get it, he really nails it. He said your law says, the law says thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say to you, I'm going to raise the standard. And I say to you, whoever lusts after a woman in his heart has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Whoa. I just raised the standard, didn't I? He said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Every jot, every tittle, every little part is to be fulfilled. I'm not doing away with any of it but I'm building upon it. And now Paul is going to say to the Roman church, all of these commandments are summed up with this one. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's so critical. So when Jesus talks about this love and he talks about this love for our neighbor, he answers three vital questions. The first question is, what do I do? Second question, how do I do it? And third is, why? Here's what we do, according to Jesus. What we do is we love our neighbor. Romans 13, 10, Paul confirms that. You love your neighbor. That's it. Well, how do we do that? Oh, this is hard. As I have loved you. 
That's what he told his disciples as he gathered with them in the upper room the night that he was betrayed, the night he was arrested. You remember what happened? I wish I had time to thoroughly unpack it, but here Jesus meets with his followers. It's kind of his last words to the men that were closest to him. And he's looking at them and he says this. He says, watch this. He says, a new commandment I give you. Where'd that come from? A new commandment. What? All these commandments that have been, all these commandments, all this emphasis, I'm giving you a new commandment. And he says, love your neighbor as I have loved you. I don't know about you guys, but that's a little painful for me. Because I've got a few neighbors I'm not too sure about. You mean I have to love my neighbors? As he loved me, does that mean that I have to forgive them even when they've wronged me? I don't know about that. I don't want to look weak. Does that mean that I have to love them even when they look a little different than me and act a little different than me and hold values that are different than me? i got to... Who is my neighbor anyway? I'm glad you asked that. That's not for today. That's coming up next time. Who is my neighbor? Jesus was asked that. He clarifies. We don't have to guess, right? You remember when they asked him that? They said, okay, you're saying love your neighbor as yourself. Well, who's a neighbor? Who do I consider my neighbor? And Jesus gave them a story that most of us know, even if we don't know the Bible very well. He gave them the story of the, remember, good Samaritan. And he caught them completely off guard because he didn't talk about somebody that lived next door. He didn't talk about somebody that was looked like them. In fact, he talked about someone who was their enemy. But they pulled the tractor out of a ditch for a guy one day. And Jesus said, there's your neighbor. That's another week. I'll talk about that later. Suffice it to say that Jesus is saying that it goes far beyond what we're accustomed to or what we know. And if that wasn't enough, Paul decided to give us a little bit more definition. And I'm, I'm hesitant to read this because every time it reads it, I read it in this context, it pains me. Now, I love to read it at a wedding because it sounds so romantic. But it really wasn't intended for a wedding. It was intended for a gathering like this. Where Paul said to the church, let me tell you what love is. Let me tell you how demanding it is. Let me tell you what's required to love someone. You say, okay, we're to love our neighbor. Oh, I love everybody. All we need is love. But now here's the requirement, he says. Here's what we mean when we say love them. Listen to what he said. This is 1 Corinthians 13, in case you want to check it out later. Just a, just a paragraph, look what he says. He describes love. He says, love is patient. All right, I'm already in the hole climbing out. I'm already behind. That one should have been last on the list, and it's first. Love is patient. Does that include somebody who's driving slow in the middle lane? Does that include somebody with 50 items in a 10-item express lane? Love is patient. Uh-oh, love is kind. I just went deeper in the hole. Because it wasn't a real kind statement I just made. And the thoughts that I had were not kind. 
Love does not envy. It's not boastful. I'm having a hard time with that envy thing because my little Tacoma just didn't do it, but that big four-wheel drive. <laughs> Best thing that happened out of that experience is Beth looks at it and says, maybe you need to think about one of those. I said, yes, ma'am. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Amen. Doesn't envy. It's not boastful. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. <laughs> It's not self-seeking, it's not irritable, does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Man, this love thing is pretty demanding, isn't it? More demanding than I anticipated. It requires more of me. Can I just say this? It'd be easier to just keep the law. It'd be easier, Pastor, just give us a list of things to do, and we'll do them. We'll keep the law. It'd be a lot easier than this love thing. Would you agree? Hey, it'd be a lot easier, Pastor. Give us a list. Okay, read your Bible daily. Check. Got it. Put a little something in the chest. Check. Got it. Be careful. Use your language carefully around children and women. Check. Or children and men. Check. That'd be so much easier, wouldn't it? Dress up on Sunday and come to church. Check. But now, wait a minute. This love thing is a whole nother level. It's a whole higher standard. You see, I guess what I'm trying to say in this talk, when I've got to wrap up, is that to say we love our neighbor may be the most demanding thing that Jesus told us to do. It's not hard for me to not go over there and steal his stuff. As much as I love the big four-wheel drive truck, I'm not going to go over there and steal it. I know better. My daddy's 85 and crippled, but he'd still find a way to chase me down and beat me. Uh, I'm not going to steal anything from him. Yeah. But this love thing, way harder. It goes way beyond the law. And then in that last verse, and I just got to touch this, and I want to touch it because I don't want to leave it off, is the demand of love impacts our neighborhood. Verse 10, he says something very, very important. He says, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. Truly loving my neighbor goes beyond just the ought-tos to a love that is patient and kind, not self-seeking or arrogant, not rude, and one that goes more. So here's what I want to leave with you this first message before we move on to next week to the second. And next week we'll build on this week. I think what I want you to see more than anything else today is that love demands more. Can you just think that with me? Love demands more. We could almost just say dot, dot, dot behind that more, couldn't we? Love demands more patience. Love demands more kindness. Love demands more involvement. 
Love demands more. And by the way, love demands more than just a cuddly feeling. You see, sometimes we think that love is a feeling. It's amazing to me how many people who are very sharp today don't get it, that love is not just a tingly feeling. We think of we're in love because we get this tingly feeling. No, there's another word. I won't use it. Oh, I'm in love because we have this chemistry and it just feels right. Yeah, not what love is described as. If you notice, and if you'll look at that 1 Corinthian passage carefully, every description of love is a verb. And last I checked, English 101 was a long time ago, but I think a verb is an action word. Love is an action it's why it bothers me to an nth degree, and I'm going to tell you so you won't say this to me one day. When somebody comes to me and says, Pastor Eddie, we're having a little struggle in our marriage. Would you mind meeting with us and talking to us a little bit? And yeah, I'll get Miss Beth, and we'll do that, and we meet. And somebody says to me then, I just don't love her the way I used to. I'm like, uh-oh, you just told on yourself. Oh, no, no, I'm telling on her. No, 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 no. That's your decision. I can't go there. I accept to say this. Love requires more than just a tingly, fuzzy feeling. As a matter of fact, can I just be frank with you? If I'm waiting on a cuddly, tender feeling, there's not going to be much love for many of my neighbors. Amen? They're not all going to give me a love, cuddly, warm feeling. But yet we think, when we say, oh, we love everybody, then that means giving them a cuddly, warm feeling. And while giving them food is a good thing, that's not enough. By, by giving them a, pulling their tractor out is a good thing, it's not enough. Jesus says it goes deeper. There's even more required. Love demands more. What more? Well, here's one biggie. Love demands for us sharing with people. The author of love. And it is our Lord Jesus. How do we love and not tell people about Jesus? That has to be a part of our love process. Oh, Pastor, I, don't, I want to be politically correct, you know. I don't want to offend them. I understand all that. And we're very careful not to offend. I'm a firm believer. Let's let the Holy Spirit offend, not me. But i got to understand that part of my love is truth. Have you ever pinned Gillette? Anybody know Pen Gillette? Maybe you know him better as a combination of a, his partner, Penn and Teller are a magic team that does magical things and they're comedians. It's funny. You know them. Even the ones who don't know Mr. Rogers probably know of them. Penn Gillette is a funny guy and I love watching him, love, love watching him entertain. Uh, genius, really. But did you know that Penn is an avowed atheist? openly proclaims that he does not believe there's a God and is very vocal to anyone who does. Yet Pendulette said something that so arrested my heart, I wanted to just give you his words to kind of close out this part one and usher us into part two. Here's what Penn said. Read these words. He said, I've always said, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. In other words, the question was really, has anybody ever tried to proselytize him or tried to bring him out of his atheism and into faith in Christ? He said, I always said I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. 
If you believe there is a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting to eternal life or whatever and you think it's not really worth telling them this because it would make them socially awkward or make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate someone to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? Coming from one who says this, I don't believe what you believe, speaking to Christians. But if I did believe what you believe, that the only way to go to heaven, that there is a heaven and there is a hell, and the only way to move into heaven is to have faith in Christ and to repent of your sins and to place your faith in Christ, if that's the only way to get to heaven and otherwise you're going to hell, if I did believe that, how could I not tell you that? And then say I love you all the while. Here's the thing. I guess more than anything else, love demands more. The next three weeks are not going to just be feel-good stuff, but hopefully ways that we can learn how to love our neighbor, what that looks like, what it requires, and how we move into it. Pray with me, would you? Father in heaven, Thank you for giving us just a few moments together today to talk about this extremely important subject. And there may be some in the crowd today, Father, who wonders why we start the year off with a message like this. And and yet, God, I understand. I think you're saying to me, to us, be a neighbor. Love your neighbor. Prioritize. Love in your life. So God, help us to do that. We need you, oh God. We don't do that naturally. Let me just say this, guys. As you contemplate what we've said today, can I just add this thought? When Jesus said to his disciples, a new commandment I give you, that you should love one another as I have loved you, he added this thought that again penetrates my soul. He said, by this, loving your neighbor, loving each other, by this will all men know that you're my followers, that you have love one for another. So do you really want to see, let people see what it means to follow Jesus? They'll see it by your love. You really want to show people the way to glory, the way to heaven? They'll see it by your love. No wonder, he says, Paul adds, and it is the fulfillment, the summation of all of that. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to my heart this week and reminding me of something I already knew but I don't do real well. Something I want to be better at in the coming year. I want to be better at today than I was yesterday and better tomorrow than I was today. I'm really loving my neighbor. 